Everybody, welcome back to where are we? It's exploring the Lord of the Rings. That's where we are. Good evening. It's session number 183, in fact, of exploring the Lord of the Rings. And you know what? We are getting close to the end of the Council of Elrond. This is, I believe, session number 59 on the Council of Elrond. But um, we have count them a total of eight slides remaining in the Council of Elrond. Eight slides! Eight slides. Which means, I think, and I'm going to, now, I'm not going to make this a rash vow, right? I'm not, I'm not making any kind of vow. I want to make that perfectly clear. Even a pledge. But what I'm saying is, I think it likely, I'm going to go with likely as a description, that we're going to be done with the Council of Elrond by Mythmoot. I think so. I think so. I think we're going to be done with the Council of Elrond by Mythmoot. I do. I said midsummer before. Easily. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to ace that, right? I think we'll get it before the end of June. I really do. Um, so, uh, so that's, it's, I think it's going to happen, right? The, day, the days of our being in the Council of Elrond uh, are, gonna, are drawing near to a close. It's going to be only about, uh, what will it be, like 19 months or something like that, that we will have been uh, in uh, the Council of Elrond uh, <laughs> by that time. It's true, Druid's Fire. I didn't say which year, Midsummer, but... Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. So no, no, I, I think <laughs> right 19 months and still no lunch. I know it's really, it's really tough. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking that, uh, it's going to be, um, it's going to be, I, th I think, I, th I think we'll be close. So just wanted to kind of throw that out there because I actually went ahead, like I've actually created the slides. They're all set. They're all ready to go. Uh, and I, so I know precisely eight slides uh, in the rest. And it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of cool. Gilgonther, you know, I was thinking the same thing as the pandemic uh, hopefully recedes. We leave the safety of Rivendell. Yeah. And, and again, to me, I mean, and this is just sort of in my world, I'm not making any commentary on the outside world. But for me, um, going back to in-person Mythmoot and getting to see folks again, that to me is like the end of my little personal uh, you know, quarantine. Um, you know, I've said before that um, you know, moots especially our regional moot program, but our our uh, 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 you know, but myth moot of course as well, has been to me one of the biggest impacts uh, of the pandemic. Um, you know, I as many of you know, of course, Signum University is entirely based online, both our employees and our classes. Um, so my, you know, my workday has not changed any really, since the pandemic started. Um, I've been sitting in this basement by myself for a long time. Um, but um, uh, but moots, moots have uh, really um, uh, have really made uh, a big difference, really. Um, but um, anyway, so I'm 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 excited. Uh, I'm excited of uh, for uh, finally getting back. Now, let me remind folks this is one of my Little, my little segue to my first announcement tonight. Um, 
so I, I just to remind folks that the uh, the Myth Moot registration is open um, for both our uh, our digital attendance and for our in-person attendance. And so I just want to make sure that folks are aware of that. In addition, if you registered digitally before, if you registered for Moot Hub before, so remember Myth Mootcast is where you just get the uh, just the, the sessions, right? So you get the archive of the sessions and you can attend the sessions live if you want. Moot Hub is the full digital experience where you're going to be able to be included in like the like random socialization and some of the other more informal events and things like that. Um, uh, that's Moot Hub. So if you've registered for Moot Hub already to this point, then uh, be on the lookout for an email. You might have received an email already uh, providing you with the links uh, to um, to upgrade, basically, to upgrade to in-person if you want to. Um, so I would... Um, uh, encourage you to look out for that. I've been seeing uh, some registrations coming in today, so I know that that's, uh, that's happening. Um, but you can also, if you haven't registered at all, you can still do that at signumuniversity.org slash mythmoot, uh, and you'll, uh, you'll, be able to, you'll be able to find the links there. Um, I am... I am so excited. I'm so excited about Mythmoot this year. I'm going to be going down like a day early just to be there to make sure I don't miss a minute. Uh, uh, so it's going to be it's going to be fun. Lisa Linda, yeah, we're going to do meals like we did last year. It's going to yeah, we're going to do we're going to do all kinds of things. We're going to have um, you know we're we're, we're going to have both uh, you know we'll we'll we'll, we'll be hanging out together at uh, of course like those of who are there at the conference center will be having our meals together uh, and we'll definitely uh, you know be uh, involving some folks uh, you know folks from the uh, digital community who will be there too. So. Um, Anyway, do we know the reenactment yet? No, I mean, so so far, not too much from the Council of Elrond has really suggested itself as obvious reenactment material uh, at Mythmoot. Um, but uh, uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah. So um, is there an in-person number limit, Mandy asks? It's a great question. Uh no, <laughs> functionally no. I mean, I, there might be. I mean, like if we might possibly reach a ceiling, um, uh, that'll go. But I, I'm not too worried about it. Where it's a big place. Uh, so as far as I know, no, Mandy. If we get close, like if we start, if we are, if we're absolutely mobbed, um, then uh, we'll start. You know letting folks know that there's a limit, but I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. And <laughs> Charles Snake says we could reenact Bilbo's yearning for lunch. Uh, yeah. Well, that's almost a guarantee actually, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway. So, um, uh, <laughs> that would be, um, that would be, ah, seating chart. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. We never did get to do, that is a reenactment we, I wanted to do, but we never got to do, which was to reenact the banquet, right? The seating arrangements of the banquet. Remember we were talking about that? I wanted to see that, um, you know, with Arwen's canopy and such, right? Um, I, I, uh, I went, I, I really, I really, uh, I'm interested to do that. Uh, yeah. Now I have to go back to that. Um, but um, anyway, okay. Uh, so, Mythmoot first uh, uh, first announcement here today, um, and I think that's most of the announcements uh, here today, actually. Um, but um, 
Yeah, yeah. Just a reminder. Oh, yeah. This, of course, the other thing is that I'm going to be away next week. Um, so remember, not we won't be having uh, a class next time. And I knew that when I made my <laughs> my prediction that we were going to finish it by, by myth mood. Um, so yeah. So there'll be no discussion next week um, because because um, uh, uh, I'm going to be away. Uh, I'm going to be away with my family next week. Um, so that's. Um, so yeah, no class. So we'll be missing the one week, and then we'll be back on the first week of May. And also in the first week in May, uh, we're going to have um, we're going to be starting our summer uh, term at Signum, uh, and of of course one of the really exciting things uh, that's happening in this summer uh, is Amy Sturgis's new Star Trek class. Um, uh, the Jonathan Spencer Memorial uh, uh, Exploring Star Trek class. Uh, really excited about that. Uh, encourage people to, uh, you can sign up to audit that. You can sign to do a, a premiere audit, which means that you get to, you know, attend the live lectures if you want to. You get to, you get the archived recordings uh, of those classes. It's going to be really cool. I'm uh, very excited about that. So, all right. Um, and uh, that was my last announcement uh, for here tonight. So, okay, um, let us get back. Uh, let us get back into the text here. All right. So Glowen is going to diffuse things, right? Kind of. Like, we, we were looking at the tensions last time. Oh, and by the way, I, I, uh, someone was posting during our field trip last time. Uh, somebody was posting a, a little a Gondorian map of Middle-earth. It was really funny. Um, it, uh, you know, had Gondor labeled and then the River of Gondor uh, and then, like, allies of Gondor over Rohan and then big places where it just said not Gondor, not Gondor in other places and, like, the Sea of Gondor. Uh <laughs> It was really, it was it was it was really funny, um, but um, yeah. So we were uh, we, that's where we ended last time was with uh, Elrond's. Uh, how would you say it? Not exactly a rebuke of Boromir, but a kind of a gentle um, uh, correction of Boromir. Right then, be comforted, Boromir. Um, if they would find it comforting to know that others were fighting against Sauron, then they can certainly be uh, uh, be comforted. Um, so, um, Glowen then jumps in. Still it might be well for all, said Glowen the dwarf, if all these strengths were joined, and the powers of each were used in league. Other rings there may be, less treacherous, that might be used in our need. The seven are lost to us. If Balin has not found the Ring of Thror, which was the last, not has been heard of it since Thror perished in Moria. Indeed, I may now reveal that it was partly in hope to find that ring that Balin went away. Balin will find no ring in Moria, said Gandalf. Thror gave it to Thrain his son, but not Thrain to Thorin. It was taken with torment from Thrain in the dungeons of Dol Guldur. I came too late." Ah, alas, cried Glowen, when will the day come of our revenge? But still there are the three. What of the three rings of the elves? Very mighty rings, it is said. Do not the elf lords keep them? Yet they too were made by the dark lord long ago. Are they idle? I see elf lords here. Will they not say? 
Okay. Yeah, I know, JJ. I always think the same thing. <laughs> Gandalf, couldn't you have sent them a memo about that before Balin went away? Um, yeah, so uh, Glowen shows off his misinformation, right, is uh, uh, part of what we see happening, of course, in this um, uh, in this slide here. Um, I just want to... Um, uh, I want to give Glowen some props here, right? Glowen does seem to me to be stepping in um, with um, uh, some real tact, actually, right? I mean, he's going to go on, uh, as I say, to, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to criticize, right, but kind of show off his ignorance. Um, however, his intentions here are good, right? Um Still, it might be well for all if all these strengths were joined and the powers of each were used in league. Um, and that that seems to me actually quite tactful, right? Even diplomatic. Things were tense, right? I mean, I think everybody, even Glowen, who's not really personally connected to Aragorn, for, and not like Bilbo, for instance, right? Who is like close friends with Aragorn, right? But even Glowen can perceive, like, things got a little touchy there for a second. And then even between Elrond and Boromir, right? I mean, Boromir was kind of disgruntled in that last, um, uh, you know, in that last, you know, just now, right? And um, and Elrond's correction of him, you know, I, I think it, it doesn't take, you know, uh, I'm not saying that Elrond was rude or that Elrond was abrasive or anything like that, but Elrond does rebuke Boromir. I mean, I, I, it might still be too strong a word, but it's in that direction, right? Um, so I think that uh, things could kind of go sideways here, right? And look what Glowen does, Right? It might be well for all if all these strengths were joined and the powers of each were used in league, right? Um, here's Boromir saying, we're doing all the work, right? It would be nice to know anybody else was doing something. And then here's Elrond saying, okay, so know it. We are doing something, right? But Gondor is not, in fact, the only country in the world, Boromir. And Glowen comes in and says, great. So then let's, wouldn't it be best, right, if we join all of our strengths and, and, and all of the powers of each are used in League, right? So let's all work together, okay? Um, I think that that's... Uh, that, now, does he have his own, you know, axe to grind here? Yeah. Yeah, I think he, I think he make, he has some, he, he is definitely grinding an axe here too, right? I mean, this is a setup, for what he wants to say and what he wants to say, you know, part of what is his motivation is not just like, Hey, everybody get along. Right. I do think he's saying that, but I think in addition, he's saying the powers, um, let's talk about joining strengths and using powers. Speaking of which, has anybody seen our ring? Right. There's a particular power that I'm interested in, uh, that I would like to see used here. And, uh, the way to use it would be to help make sure it gets back to us, the dwarves. Right. So, I mean, it's not that there's no self-serving going on here because there totally is. Um, but, um, but nevertheless, I do think that, um, you know, his transition 
does seem to me a skillful one. And and you're right. Uh, you're right, Brandon, that he is a working diplomat. Like, this is his job. Like, he was sent here uh, for diplomatic purposes. Um, uh, you know, he, he almost blew it at one point, right? Um, but, you know, it's hard. Even professional diplomats will sometimes get into squabbles with the diplomats of, like, nearby uh nations with whom they have tense relations. So, you know, uh, especially tense history. Um, so, I, you know, we can forgive him that, I think. Uh, Drusnik, that's a really great question. Why is he called Glow in the Dwarf? Is it to remind the audience that he's a dwarf before he talks about the dwarf rings in case they forgot? Um, I think it... Um, I, I, I think it might be, right? Um, a, a reminder. It's been a while since he spoke. Um, I think by calling him Glow in the Dwarf, it means that Tolkien does not have to use the phrase. Like, no, it's... He talks about the seven, right? But he doesn't refer to, like... No, like, like how we have the three rings of the elves down there, right? He doesn't have to say the seven rings of the dwarves because... Tolkien has just reintroduced him as Glow in the Dwarf. So I do think that that's the kind of double use of it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, good. And Tony, you're right. <clears throat> yeah, that's a really good point. Um, he is. Ac- he actually begins um, not by making demands, but by offering secret information, right? You know, indeed, I may now reveal... Right. So he is disclosing what is obviously a secret, right? Probably known only to Balin, Dan and, you know, a handful of Dan's advisors. Right. I doubt that is general knowledge, even in Erebor. Right. That uh, Balin went to Moria in order to look for the Ring of Thror. Um, uh, Probably a very small number of dwarves know that. Um. And certainly, they're not going to be telling a whole lot of non-dwarves about that. Um, so, um, uh, so yeah. So I, I, so I agree, Tony, that he is in fact offering. You know, he's he's asking for secret information, right? Does anybody have any knowledge about the whereabouts of uh, Thor's ring? Um, but he is also offering that as well. What he is, uh, what he is saying there, um, is definitely. A revelation of a secret is a, a confidence, right? He's letting the entire council into the confidence of secret dwarf councils. And of course, from what we know of dwarves, that's kind of a big deal, actually, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, good. Okay. Um, let's see. Sam wants to is the capitalized dwarf. The capitalized dwarf is significant, maybe emphasizing that Glowen is representing the dwarves at the council. Um, yes. I mean, well, it's hard. I don't think he does. Um, and he's not there representing dwarf kind. He's there representing Erebor, specifically. And there are many other houses of dwarves whom he is... I don't believe would be claiming to represent. I mean, he is a sort of symbolic representative of the dwarves. Um, There are not, as there were in the film, a ton of random dwarves uh, at this council. Um, So, uh, 
so yeah, there's there's this is not like a huge dwarvish delegation exactly. Um but um but yeah, uh, Ered, I agree. Dwarves are very private and so to reveal this it is a big gesture of goodwill and I I am sure that there are several there who would fully have um um have appreciated it uh there as well. Um Yeah, yeah. Um and agree, yeah, agreed. Matt, Matt from Wisconsin was saying, uh, knowing about the dwarf secretiveness, secretiveness, Glowin's comment is astonishingly generous and collaborative. Um, yeah, the whole the whole tone of it uh, really is collaborative. That we get a glimpse of the other side uh, as well in a moment. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so Captain Moe is asking, the keepers of the rings of the dwarves were a secret. Isn't it said that every dwarf horde was based on a ring? Yeah, but that doesn't mean that everybody knew that. Um, that uh, at the core of each of the, the old classic dwarf hordes was a ring. Um, that wasn't known. In fact, the the fact that there was a correlation is going to be the best kept secret among the dwarves, right? Because you don't want people to know like, hey, you know, come steal my ring and you too can get a horde like this, right? Like that's uh, not where you want to go uh, with that. So, I mean, you, you, you wouldn't have to be uh, any more than a tiny fraction as paranoid and secretive as the dwarves uh, to not want to reveal that particular secret. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly, Gilgonther. They don't even uh, want to teach other people their language, much less give them information. Um, yeah, yeah. Matt from Wisconsin also points out that maybe Glowen is reminding these elves and Gondorians, uh, Gondorians focused on elven refugees that Go- and, and Gondor, uh, that dwarves also have a stake in this war. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I agree. I agree, though again, he's doing that, I think... Um, constructively, right? Um, yeah. Now, Morinatar, this is to me the most interesting, th- one of the most interesting interesting things about this whole thing. Um, he says, what need would the Ring of the Dwarves help them fulfill? They wouldn't be able to contest Sauron with a dwarf ring. And I absolutely agree with the people who are suggesting, I, I don't think Glowen knows that. I don't think any living dwarf knows what the dwarvish rings of power did. Um, how would they know? Where would they have learned it? Right? Um, they was he was Glowen or any of those other counselors in Thror's confidence? And Thror is really the last. I mean, there's Thran, of course, um, but even Thran didn't use the dwarf ring in the same way. He had it, right? He did have the dwarf ring, so he would have known what it was to have it and to, uh, and to wield it. Um, but, um, ironically, of course, uh, ironically, I mean, on the question of like, can it be used against Sauron or not? It seems to have simply made him vulnerable, uh, to Sauron and Sauron's detection in any case. Um, but, um, 
Yeah. Cook, Cook of Wooten Minor, this is so important to remember. Um, I'm really glad that you brought that up. Um, he says, I, I think we must remember that in this kind of setting, the means of transmitting knowledge are very poor. Even public knowledge among one people is as good as a secret for others. Yes. Like it's, um, I often talk about how much people underestimate the impact of the printing press on later society, um, the impact of the internet on later society is even greater than that. And to imagine not only a pre-internet society, but a pre-print society is increasingly difficult, especially if I may say it without too much of a spirit of rebuke. Um, our society is seems to be almost entirely losing its interest in trying to imagine what things are like to hear people talk these days. You'd imagine that they thought the world began yesterday um, and that uh, things have always been exactly like they currently are. Um, very few people seem to exert effort to even imagine um, what things might have actually been like before the current condition, which they take for granted. And this is something that I agree, Cook of Utenmanner, I think it really impacts um, people who read The Lord of the Rings because Tolkien was very much more in touch with that. Tolkien was a modern person, you know, there's a lot... It is easy to overstate and overdo the kind of, you know, traditional late 20th century view of Tolkien as like a medieval person in all but name, you know, uh, like he was a modern and a person of his times. Uh, that is, you know, he was a, he was a, he was a 20th century person um, and, you know, in touch with many 20th century movements of thought and things like that. However... He also grew up and remained through his adult life immersed in the pre-modern world in ways that most modern people just can't imagine. Absolutely can't imagine. Um, he knew that world really well. And thus, I do believe that he did a much better job than a lot of people, than many of his readers, uh, in imagining that kind of world um, and knowing um, uh, you know, I, just again, imagining what that world was like. And this is something that I do think is a, um, a stumbling stone for a lot of readers of Tolkien who lack even, I, I honestly suspect Tolkien would have taken a whole bunch of these things for granted. Basically, I, I doubt that Tolkien himself, I mean, I know this is true because of course Tolkien was well, pre-internet, right? And people who lived before the internet would have a hard time imagining the impact uh, of the internet and, and would have a a much harder time wrapping their minds around how the assumptions about the world are going to change after the internet is invented than they do imagining themselves backwards a step. Uh, but, um, but anyway, um, uh, he... Um, he certainly did not anticipate a lot of those changes. And so therefore there are, there's like, you know, whole generations now of Tolkien readers who are kind of handicapped by this, who have to make an extra effort. And at a time when few people are even making a small effort, uh, to make an extra, extra effort, uh, to, um, 
cast yourself imaginatively back into an older kind of world puts you at a disadvantage. Um, definitely. Definitely. Um, later, the goddess says, I remember when you had to go look things up in books. Exactly. And of course, now, but now you have to remember there are no books, right? You just have to talk to other people who might also have read or heard some of those books, right? Um, who were once in a place where that book is uh, and heard it once uh, and talk to as many of those people as you can to try to figure it out, right? Then you're getting closer to it, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, anyway. Um, yes, yes, several of you are pointing uh, to how many newspapers a day Tolkien read. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, no, he was very much a person of his times uh, in that way. But, um, but yeah, yeah. Um, okay, um... Let's see. Let's see. Okay. Um, <laughs> lots of reminiscences now have exploded into the <laughs> into the comments. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so back to um, um, back to glowing. Um. The seven are lost to us. If Balin has not found the Ring of Thror, which was the last, naught has been heard from it since Thror perished in Moria. Okay. I don't know how Balin knows that the Ring of Thror was the last. Are there legends about this? There might be, by the way. I mean, it is possible. Um, for instance, I'm just, this is me spitballing here. Just spitballing. Gandalf mentions to Frodo back in the Shadows of the Past that he just tosses off the reference to the fact that some of the Seven Rings were consumed by dragons, right? Some of the Seven Rings were consumed by dragons. What would happen? What would dwarves do if a ring of power was consumed by a dragon? Right? What do you think they would do? Um... They would swear revenge. Yeah, exactly. Swear vengeance. You got it. That's exactly my answer. Yeah, they would. Um, they would swear vengeance on the dragon, right? Um, and what's more, I think that they would. Um, uh, <laughs> by the way, several <laughs> several of you are suggesting. Um, you know, <laughs> searching dragon scat and stuff like that. Uh, right. Have you searched the fumits? Right. They might be there. Um, I, yes, I don't, I don't think that the dragons just swallowed them. Right. Um, I, I, I don't think it's, it's, you know, I don't think it's kind of like, you know, when you're, <laughs> I, I don't think it's kind of like when you're, um, uh, when you're, you know, one-year-old swallows your engagement ring or something like that. Like it's, it's not, it's not quite like that. I don't think that was the situation. Um, yeah, exactly. They probably killed the dwarf who was wearing them. Yes. With dragon fire, right. And thus destroyed. I don't think when Gandalf says consumed, I don't think that he, he came, uh, that they were just munching on them. Um, 
especially, you know, remember the context of, uh, of Dragonfire, right? Uh, uh, Gandalf immediately goes to the example of Dragonfire. Um, like, was there ever any dragon whose fire burned hot enough to destroy the One Ring? Why is that even a question Gandalf is discussing? back in chapter two. And the only answer that I have for that is the context of what he said before. He mentioned about dragons consuming the rings, right? The dwarf rings. And so therefore he's opened up that as a possibility, right? So dragon fire can destroy rings of power, um, but he's got to quash that, right? Yeah, yeah, no, not the one ring. That won't work with the one ring. Um, So therefore I... The fact that Gandalf comes back around to that question in that context definitely leads me to believe that it was dragon fire that consumed, consumed not like a dragon consumes a snack, but consumed like fire consumes, you know, uh, fuel. Um, they were burned up by dragon fire. Nancy asks, what is Gandalf's source for this information? Well, Nancy, that's an excellent question. And it is uh, exactly the, the, the answer would appear to be the same as Balin's source of information, right? So I have got to think, um, I have got to think that, um, uh, that these, these, these were known stories, right? Among the dwarves, even. Right. If a rampaging dragon melts down one of the rings of power, they're going to they're going to call in, you know, some dwarf vengeance on that. That's a big deal for all the dwarves. Right. Remember, we have a precedent for this. Right. With Thror. Thror was one of the, was the the head of one of the great houses of the dwarves. And so his uh, not only death, right? Not only his murder, but his uh, murder and the desecration of his body uh, by um, Azog and the Orcs of Moria um, led to this massive inter-clan, like all of the dwarf houses got together to help them take revenge uh, upon uh, the Orcs. But was the ring involved? Um, Was that part of the issue? There is it possible that it was known um, among the leaders of the clans that the other leaders of the clans received the rings. If when one of the dwarf rings was destroyed by a dragon, would that be known? Would that be you know? Would the survivors right publish that to the other clans and say? We are calling for vengeance, not just because the head of our clan was slain by this dragon, but he destroyed the dwarf ring, and we must take vengeance on that. And, you know, everybody, all the other dwarves were like, okay, it's time for the day of our revenge, right? Um, So, um, yeah, yeah. So I definitely um, can imagine that that kind of information was in circulation. They would keep it secret, but would they keep it completely secret from everybody? Because uh, again, they wouldn't need to publish that to everyone in the, in the army, right? Um, merely taking vengeance on the beast who slew the head of the clan is enough, would be enough, right, to call for vengeance, and that would satisfy everyone. Um, but would others? Would others, other dwarves in the know, right, have... Um, uh, have been interested 
in this, right? Have taken vengeance on this. So I think, um, I think that's, I think that's possible, right? I think that's possible. I even think it's possible that some of the heads of the other clans who came to avenge Thror thought that they were doing that, thought that they were reclaiming the dwarf ring that Azog had stolen, and that that could be one of the things that uh, that led to that. Now, I don't know. I get, that's just a speculation on my part. I really don't know. Thran, of course, had it the whole time, right? Thran's the one calling for vengeance, and he has the ring on his finger. So I don't think he would have lied about that, right? I don't think he would have, uh, like, let it be known. Um, but at the same time, would he have announced... Don't worry, guys. I have my father's ring. Obviously, he didn't, right? Because nobody knew about that. Even even Balin didn't know that. And Balin was one of his companions, right? Balin like, was with, was one of the, 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 it was Balin and Dwalin, wasn't it? Who were with Thran when he was captured and taken away by the necromancer. I mean, Balin and Dwalin were like two of Thran's closest friends. Balin was younger. Dwalin was there, though. Yeah. No, both of them were there. I'm pretty sure they were both there. Anyway, point is, they didn't even know. They didn't even know. They were still so ignorant that they thought that Thor had it. Balin did his whole expedition to Moria in the active hope, you know, in the, in the active belief that Thor had it. So clearly, Thran was keeping that one really close to the chest, right? Nobody knew. Did Thorin know? I don't think Thorin knew. Did I mean... Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly, Tony. It, it doesn't seem that Thorin knew this, or at least he didn't share it. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, it, it's... Um, <laughs> right, JJ says Thorin didn't even know his dad had a map. Um, yeah, yeah. Thran was uh, not the most forthcoming. <laughs> he, was, he, he, was, he was not very forthcoming, even by Dwarvish standards, it seems. Uh, exactly. He didn't know about the, the map or the key. Um, yeah, yeah, no, uh, uh, so all of the dwarves of Erebor, including all of the insiders and the people who knew Thran and Thror, Thran, Thror, and Thorin best, none of them know, none of them know, um, that Thran has the ring. So would he have announced that to the other clans? No, I don't think he would have. Uh, clearly that was not cleared up among the war leaders of the, you know, at the Battle of Azanul Bazaar, or else Balin and Dayan would certainly have known it, right? Because uh, they were there, um, and they obviously did not know it. So, therefore, he didn't say, So again, uh, this is all just, like, for the vague speculation that perhaps the heads of the other clans thought that they were fighting, in part, not only for vengeance for the insult against the head of the Longbeards. Um, but also, um, uh, but also for um, uh, recovery of the dwarf ring, which may, they may, may well have known was the last of the dwarf rings. Um, and... Can I just say that that prospect opens up some um, really, um, some really sketchy possibilities, right? <laughs> that is to say, 
what would have happened if they'd found it? Right? What would have happened if Azog had had the dwarf ring on him? Um, would things have gotten ugly? They might have gotten ugly, right? They might have gotten ugly. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, of course, if the Balrog has it, then yeah, it's kind of out of reach at that point. Um, but, um, but anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah. When the dwarf rings were made, how many dragons were still around? I don't know. Prayer. Um, a, a bunch. Uh, a bunch because we know that when Smaug came south, he was the mightiest of the dragons up there in the north. Um, um, and we're told that at the Withered Heath, on Thwar's map, we're told that up there in the north is the Withered Heath where the dragons breed. So, you know, they're breeding up there. So, um, a bunch. A bunch. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the collective noun for dragons is. I feel like that's something we should know. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Um, And yeah, yeah, Matt says that, that the Ring of Thror was kept secret is also probably a sign of the dragon sickness that plagued the line. Yeah, and I would say, Matt, um, in addition, that um, uh, I would say in addition that that seems to be endemic, not just to the line, but to the rings themselves, right? Um, the rings are... No, they do not have the impact that Sauron was going for, right? Sauron does recall the ring. The, the rings, the dwarven rings are a failure in that they failed to wraithify and dominate the dwarves, which was the plan, right? Um, and they fail at what they were attempting to, and which is why Sauron is recalling them. However, they don't do nothing. Um, uh, and one of the things they, I think that what is called in The Hobbit, the dragon sickness is something which is sort of very similar, right, to what we see uh, and I think what we can expect um, of those who have the... Uh, um, I mean, I, you know, Matt, you could even turn it around the other way, right, and say if there is dragon sickness that, you know, if, 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 if dragon sickness is a tendency in that line, perhaps it's not a coincidence since they had... Uh, the ring of power the longest, right? Um, but um, Lady Okada says, according to the internet, it's a thunder of dragons. I, I dislike that. I dislike that. And flight of dragons, that's just an Anne McCaffrey-ism. Uh, uh, and uh, that's, of course, irrelevant in a world in which uh, still the majority of dragons are terrestrial. Um, so yeah, no, I don't like that. I, I like a horde. Uh, I kind of like the H O A R D, <clears throat> a horde of dragons. Um, uh, that's, that's lovely. I, I, I like the pun involved in that. Um, now a plague of dragons is definitely a competitor. I think, uh, it's definitely a competitor. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Now, Jake, Anne McCaffrey, look, I have nothing against Anne McCaffrey. Not much. Anyway, uh, no, she's fine. But I'm just saying her dragons are different, not Tolkien's dragons. Um, there is so much difference between her dragons and Tolkien's dragons that I will not carry over her collective nouns. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it's not going to work. Um, but, um, okay. All right. Anyway, sorry. Okay, Matt, that's a, that might be a winner. A Calamity of Dragons? Tempting. 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 Um, uh, JJ says, would Tolkien dragons even be in a group like that? Well, they were once. They were once. Um, uh, and it was, uh, it was a calamity uh, when they were. Um, I mean, the only massed attack of dragons we ever hear of uh, is in the War of Wrath. Um, right near the, uh, uh, which almost, I mean, they almost defeated, uh, the armies of, uh, uh, the armies of Valinor. So yeah, that's a, um, that's a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, but yeah, exa- I can't accept flight because there are too many non-flying dragons, uh, in Tolkien. Certainly Glaurung, the father of dragons was not flying. And I don't see any reason to believe that all dragons, uh, Smaug is a winged dragon. Um, but I see no reason to believe that all dragons, you know, that still are alive in the Third Age are winged. Um, but, um, okay. Anyway, anyway. Um, <laughs> all right. Sorry. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm done talking about that. Okay. Um, Other rings there may be less treacherous that might be used in our need. Um, can we just pause on less treacherous for a second? Oh, and sorry, that reminds me of a comment that I wanted to pick up on, but I got moved away uh, from. Um, Gandalf's source of information um, uh, that he reveals to Frodo. Um, I agree with whoever was saying Saruman would have looked into this. He absolutely would have looked into this. Um, this would have been part of Saruman's long research into ring lore. Um, and can I just say that I suspect um, that um, I suspect that um, he we don't know anything about this. Like, we don't know what kind of relationship Saruman Saruman might have had uh, with the dwarves. But remember, he's an outlay dude, right? I bet you um, that among many of the dwarves, Saruman could, if he chose, get along like a house on fire, right? I mean, he'd have a lot to offer them. And so if he were to go among some of these other clans of dwarves, uh, trying to find out about the history of the rings of power that Sauron gave to them, to try to learn more about their nature and their powers and how they worked and what they were like and what they looked like and things like that, um, he, I think, yeah, they're secretive. Uh, Could he you know, win their confidence? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, again, we, we, we have no idea, right? We have no idea. Uh, nothing about that is told. Um, but I would not rule out that he has done research among the dwarves. And Gandalf certainly 
listen. Remember, he he was sitting there listening to, um, uh, you know, to Saruman do PowerPoints on the Rings of Power in the White Council meetings earlier on. So he would have had um, and his voice aired absolutely with the power of his voice as well, which he would certainly have deployed. Um, uh, yes, I do think that he would have the ability um, and some options there uh, for. Um, winning the confidence of some of the dwarves and finding out some information about the dwarf rings. Um, so I just wanted to to acknowledge that, yeah, I think it's a really good suggestion. Now, less treacherous. Um, and um, Matt, I, I agree. That is really interesting, isn't it? Um, it's an interesting turn of phrase, less treacherous, um, given the level of distrust that exists between the elves and the dwarves. Yes, less treacherous, unlike some people in this room. Um, uh, now, he's clearly referring back to the One Ring, right? Um, Elrond has just said, before the snippiness broke out, um, Elrond had just said, no, 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 we can't use the One Ring, um, because not because it's impossible to be used, but because it's altogether evil, right? It is utterly untrustworthy. Anyone who attempts to use it will be betrayed. It is therefore fraught with deadliest peril even to attempt. It is worse to even try to use the Ring of Power against Sauron than it is to try to hide it um, uh, or certainly to destroy it. Like, this is the worst possible option, right? Elrond has just attempted to make that claim, Glowen seems to acknowledge it, right? Okay, so the One Ring is super treacherous, right? Um, it will betray you. It, can, it is not a weapon that can be used safely against the enemy. Okay, so there are some, um, there are some non-treacherous rings available, right? Other rings there may be less treacherous. Now, I do, um, uh, I do think that it's interesting that he says less treacherous, right? Um, He doesn't say... Exactly, Michael, that's just what I was going to say. He doesn't say other rings there may be which aren't treacherous at all, right? No, they're just less treacherous. Is there a degree of wariness there? Is he um, uh, alert to the possibility that they are? And yes, he's paid... um, Glowen has paid, uh, I would say, like, B to B-plus attention, right, to the rest of the council, right, as we see at the end, right? Yet they, too, were made by the Dark Lord long ago. Um, Okay, so he was paying attention when Elrond talked about the forging of the Rings of Power, and this is important, right? This This is very important, because, remember, there's a chance. There's a chance. It, it, one possible... Um, one possible reaction um, to Elrond's story about the forging of the Rings of Power in, you know, Sauron and Celebrimbor and the forging of the Rings of Power, um, one possible dwarvish reaction would just be resistance, right? Oh, yeah, whatever. A likely elfish story, right? Um, you know, don't you go talking about my rings that way, right? Um, I don't believe. I, for one, don't believe, that the dwarf rings held by Thror and Thran the Old and, you know, um, uh, you know, all these other, uh, you know, dwarf lords for many years. I don't believe that that was that that was a, a ring from Sauron at all. Right. It's conceivable that a modern dwarf would say that. 
right, from the vantage point that they're currently at when that lore is unknown? Um, I, I how would they would they you know would they even know that right? I mean, so um, uh, it was. So he's been paying attention, right? Again, insufficient attention, not quite a, uh, you know, he's not, maybe he's an A minus, uh, but I, I, I'd give him a B plus at best. He wasn't paying attention to the whole, the elf uh, rings were not touched by Sauron um, uh, thing. He, he, he missed that, um, but still, but still. Um, he, um, he does acknowledge this. Um, now, Ilamar says, uh, isn't he just exploring the options, testing what he's heard? Yes, he is exploring the options. But again, the way that first paragraph is shaped, um, it seems pretty clear. I mean, look at the overall shape of it, right? He's not just, this, he's not just brainstorming here, right? This is, he's got reasons for this. Right. First sentence, diplomatic transition. Right. Okay, let's make sure not to fight. Let's all come together and um, use all of our strengths in league. And speaking of all of our strengths, there are other strengths. Let's consider other weapons that we might use other than this really controversial one that is making people upset. So let's think about other. For instance, there's the seven rings. Now those are lost to us. Although there's a chance that one of them isn't, right? And in fact, I would reveal that Balin thought that he might find one. So maybe there's a dwarf ring in play. Wouldn't wouldn't that be nice? Um, it was in hope to find that ring that Balin went away. We're we're looking for. There's a dwarf ring on the loose still, and we're trying to find it. Um, that you know so. I think that he has this in mind, right? I, I, I believe, I fully believe that Balin has been waiting to say this for some time, right? I bet you that, I mean, Balin has been squirming in his chair to say this ever since Elrond's story, I believe, right? I mean, ever since Elrond told the story of the forging of the Rings of Power, you know, he came here, Glowen came here to tell the news about the emissary from Sauron. Right, that was the me- the message that he came with, and to warn Bilbo. Right, it's both a personal message. Look out, Bilbo! Sauron is is looking for you, um, and um, you know we would like some advice. You know, what do you think we should do? Um, we seek the advice of Elrond on you know the developments you know out east. Um, but. Um, Sorry, did I say Balin has been squirming? Sorry, I meant Glowin. Yeah, you're right. Balin is not squirming. Uh, no, no, you're absolutely right. Glowin is what I meant. Yes. Um, right. So I think that, you know, so Glowin came here for that purpose, right? But he's also known about this other thing. I doubt he came here to ask about this. But, you know, I think it's been on his mind, right? Um it's been on his mind uh, since he heard Elrond's story. Okay. No, remember, there was even a reference. Uh, there was even a reference to Glowen sort of squirming when the dwarf rings were mentioned earlier. He didn't say anything at the time, but he kind of made a movement, right? Uh, Frodo noticed Glowen 
squirm uh, when um, uh, when the dwarf rings were mentioned back then, right? So this is clearly something that has struck a nerve with him. He's been, and now he has found a way to introduce it. And again, I give Glowin credit. I give Glowin, I give Glowin credit for diplomacy in that first sentence, and I even also give him credit for generosity in the context in which he's bringing it up. Right? He is not bringing it up. There are lots. Let me say at least this: there are way worse ways he could have brought this up. Right? At the very least, there are way worse ways. Um, you know, none of you guys have seen it, right? Don't forget the dwarves claim it and we will bring terrible vengeance upon anyone who attempts to keep it from us. He could go there. He could absolutely go there, right? Um, but um, uh, but he does... Good. No, so, yes, he is... Bjarne Sonar, he is going to pressure the elves about their own rings. Um, uh, but um, I don't think that's the primary reason that he's I think that's totally secondary to him. In fact, yeah. Um if anything it sounds like uh I don't know, a sort of Parthian shot. Um he brings he only brings up the elf rings at all. I mean I, I, so you know, other rings there may be West treacherous that might be used in our need. Is that a segue for him to ask for him to get nosy about the elvish rings? No. I don't think so. I don't think it is. Um, I mean, could he use it that way? Is he going to eventually use it that way? Yeah. But no, no, no. I see that totally as a segue to back to this thing I've been thinking about somewhat obsessively for a couple hours, right? The seven are lost to us. Notice the gentleness with which he brings it up, right? There's this kind of like cautious acknowledgement. The seven are lost to us. Unless, right? He's not saying... We believe he's not saying we hope he's not saying, hey, has anybody? He's just saying probably this is not relevant. Right. Seven of us to us. So when he says other rings, there may be even the fact that he's using the phrase may be. He knows for a fact from Elrond's story that the elven rings are right. When he says that there might be there may be other rings. He's um. Uh, he's talking about the seven because those are the only rings whose being is in doubt, is in question in this way. Um, so, uh, so yeah, yeah, I, I, I 100% believe that his entire segue here is to raise the question of the dwarf ring. Um, and he is throwing it out there because he's realizing I'm in a room where it's quite possible that there's somebody in here who knows about the fate of Thor's ring, who knows where Thor's ring is. And he's got to know, because he's been squirming ever since it was mentioned, right? Who was it who said it? Was it Elrond or was it Gandalf who said that the dwarf rings were lost? It was Gandalf, right? Um, Gandalf said that the dwarf rings are lost. And when he said that, Glowin twitched. Right, Glowin twitched at the time, and he twitched at the time because he's hoping that it wasn't, right? He's like, okay, hang on, somebody just casually dropped this piece of information which would rock the inner councils of Erebor, right? Um, and he's going to follow up on that. So 
Did he mention, did he come here to talk about this? No. Did he plan to reveal this when he woke up this morning? No, I don't think he did. Um, but he's going here because he's like, I need information, right? Like, let's, uh, can we go back to the point where you guys assert that there's definitely no dwarf rings in circulation? Okay. Um, um, and, and, and exactly. Bjarne Sonner, I think exactly the same. He's engaging in a bit of motivated reasoning, but understandably so. Absolutely understandably so, right? I, I have nothing to criticize in Balin's comment. And again, he waits to, he doesn't, he could have done. He obviously had a notion to. When it was said before, he twitched, right? He twitched, but he didn't interrupt. He didn't jump up and say, wait a second, what do you know about our ring, right? You know, I, he could have done. He could have done. Some dwarves might have done. Um, you know, but he didn't do that. Um, so, and I think that that's really important. I think that that's, again, I give Glowin credit for that. But he's coming back around to it, right? And he definitely wants some definite information. But notice, again, he's doing it constructively, right? He's doing this... Um, um, I don't just mean constructively in the sense that he's not interrupting, though that too. I mean, he brings it up in the context of, yes, on the subject of our the us pooling all of our strengths, right? Um, let's go back to a point that got raised a little bit earlier, right? What about the dwarf rings? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So again, I agree, Cook. I, I, I think that this is glowing. Glowin is demonstrating some skill um, at uh, at being uh, at, at at being a diplomat. I think he's doing a good job of being a diplomat here. In addition, again, notice not only does he wait until now to bring it up, not only does he bring it up in a constructive context, like at least implying that his primary interest in obtaining information about the dwarf ring is that should they find or have found the dwarf ring that maybe they could now use that to help the effort against Sauron. Right. And Matt, I saw your comment a while back that, um, uh, the dwarf ring would be very useful, uh, in the war against Sauron, uh, as it would help fund all the armies con uh, conceivably. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not sure that the wielder of a dwarf ring would be down for the utilization of the ring in that way. But, um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but Tony, that's just it. He is making an offer to join with all of them and to fight as one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, now, let's see who was saying that. Arend, that's very interesting. It is possible that when he says other rings, there may be that his use of the word may there doesn't just mean it's possible that other rings still exist, that he's, that it's referring to the indeterminacy of, of their existence, but rather that maybe that might be used in our needs so that he's expressing doubt as to whether or not the Elvish rings could be used in our need. Right. Um, that, I agree that that is possible. I don't believe that though. And there are two reasons why I don't believe that reason. Number one, that I don't believe that is that what he says about the dwarf ring kind of suggests to me that he sort of believes that all of the rings of power could be used in some kind of important and meaningful way against Sauron. Right? I mean, he seems to, it seems to me to lump all of these things into a kind of a, you know, potential strengths, potential weapon categories. I don't think he knows anything about what any of their powers are to which who can blame him 
you know, there's maybe 10 people in the world who know that. Um, so, uh, but anyway, so that's one reason why I don't think because later on, um, when he bring, when he's going to ask the question, are they idle later on at the, you know, in that last paragraph, um, he's, um, he does not seem to harbor any doubts or questions about whether or not the Elvish rings might be used. Um, he's only asking whether they are being used, in fact, right? Not whether they whether they are usable. Um, the other reason that I don't believe that, um, uh, that I don't believe that he's questioning whether or not the elf rings would be used uh, uh, in uh, that, you know, whether they might be used in our need, or rather whether he's referring to it in that way. I had another, oh shoot, what was my other reason? I'm forgetting my other reason now. Um... If they are being used in an idle way, Kurtzimus, you're kind of right. You're kind of right. Um, uh, I know. I think I said them both. I think, I think that's why I can't think. So the first one was that um, he. I think he definitely thinks that all rings of power can be used against Sauron. And the second is that he seems to definitely believe that the ring, that the elf rings certainly could. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think those are my two reasons. Okay. All right. Um, but I think that's a really good, uh, um, I think that's a really good suggestion to rent. Um, uh, okay. Let's see. Um, Okay. Yeah. Again, we've got to remember that people um, have no idea. I mean, there's so much that people don't know. So much that people don't know. Um, but all right, we'll come back to that last paragraph. Gandalf's response. Gandalf's crushing response. Balin will find no ring in Moria, said Gandalf. Thror gave it to Thran, his son, but not Thran to Thorin. It was taken with torment from Thrayan in the dungeons of Dol Guldur. I came too late. This is um, interesting on two levels, right? And I can imagine the response to this being complex, right? On the one hand, Gandalf's comment is... I was trying to rescue him, right? I was trying to rescue it. I, I, I would have saved the dwarf ring if I could, right? I came too late. Suggests clearly, like, I was trying to help. I tried to help and failed. And not only did he try to help and fail, but he accomplished what nobody else accomplished, right? He found Thran. They couldn't find him. I mean, And by they, I mean Balin and Dwalin. Like, they were looking. They couldn't find him, Right. Gandalf accomplished what they could not in finding Thran. Um, he accomplished what nobody else accomplished in actually entering Dol Guldur itself uh, in order to um, um, in order to you know search for Thran and to find him. Um, so um, yeah, and. Lissalinda, I think that that's important to remember, that Gandalf feels guilt and grief um, because he still feels he came too late. I can imagine Gandalf's tone of voice here, I think, must be sad, must be grieved. 
Um, it was taken with torment from Thrain in the dungeons of Dol Guldur. I came too late. Um, I don't think he's being brusque. I don't think that he's, you know, I think that, so on the one hand, I would think that this revelation would, a, a big percentage of the reaction to this revelation would be, wow. Um, you know, thanks for trying, man. That was cool. <laughs> right. But the other percentage is, dude. <laughs> You never mentioned this. We did a whole expedition. You could have just told us, man. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. And I agree, Mike, I absolutely agree with you that Glowen's ah, alas, at the beginning of that paragraph. Um, Mike says he thinks that ah, alas, is doing a lot of heavy lifting here in Glowen's reaction to the news. Notice the verb, Mike, cried, Glowen. Um, um, It's almost a resigned tone that um, Robert Inguis uses when he narrates this in the audiobook. Ah, alas, when will the day come of our revenge? Right? Um, I don't think that's what happened, right? I don't think that's how Glowen sounded. Um, I think that Glowen cried aloud. I think this is a, a cry of mourning, a cry of grief. It's more like the um, um, uh, this cannot be born, Kurtzimus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I... Do you see much reason to believe that the dwarves are an extremely emotionally restrained people in expressing grief, frustration, anger like this? I don't... Secretive? Yes. Undemonstrative? I'm less sure. I'm less sure. Um, I think that Glowen is... This is... Um the cry of someone who is, this is a major loss. He has just learned the confirmation. And note, from an eyewitness, right? This is more than, when Glowen brought this back up again, right? He wanted to push on this. At the very least, he wants to push on this because he wants to know the source of the, are you sure? Are you really sure that Thrain's ring is lost? That Thror's ring is lost, Right? Because we have a theory, right? We have a theory that Azog took it and that it's still in Moria. So we're going to go look for it. Um, uh, but um, not only does he find out, um, not only does he find out that uh, it's definitely true. He finds out from a much better, he finds from an eyewitness, right? Somebody who actually talked to Thrayan before he died. Right, who heard from Thrayan's own lips um, that the Ring of Power was taken by Sauron. Um, and not only that, but by an ally who was him, who is himself expressing appropriate, I would think, to a dwarf, appropriate levels of grief and of regret, 
right, who at the great risk of his own life was attempting to rescue. Now, what would he have done? What would Gandalf have done with the dwarf ring had he found it? There's an interesting thought question for another time. Um, but um, uh, but I agree, Matt. The ah, alas, and when will come the day of our revenge does sound like a ritual response. When will come the day of our revenge sounds to me like a, like a, um, uh, a dwarf aphorism. Right. This kind of sounds like uh, the dwarf equivalent of, you know, never laugh at live dragons or or, you know, other phrases that Bilbo has gotten from his father. Right. That he quotes. Right. It, it, not from Bungo's uh, personal experience with dragons, of course. But, um, you know, all these other like traditional sayings that are uh, handed down to Bilbo or that Sam has uh, from his gaffer. Well, those are mostly personal insults. But um, uh, but um um, but yeah, I, when will come the day of our revenge is, I think, a traditional um, a traditional dwarf thing. Like it's, uh, It sounds almost call and response to me, right? Um, like when somebody mentions a, th- like a grievance, like a thing, like a, 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 a grievance, you know, like so like when one dwarf alludes to something else, right? Like uh, um, I'll just allude to Moria. Right, allude to Khazad Doom, and a dwarf in the and like the, the the proper response is like you know it's like oh yes this uh, um, would be like the great days of Khazad Doom, and a dwarf in the room will say when will come the day of our revenge right like I, that's totally how I hear it right um, as absolutely uh, a ritual formula like that um, this is I think precisely uh, how the dwarves talk among themselves. Um, remember, Thorin said something almost... He didn't say exactly that. He didn't say it in this ritual formula. But he said almost exactly the same thing um, when uh, the subject turned to the necromancer, right? Um, uh, and back in chapter one of The Hobbit is what I'm referring to. Um, but... Um, yeah, good. Michael Tobias is recalling the scene in the Silmarillion where the dwarves raise up the body of Azakal and bear it away from the battle. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Absolutely. There's a there, there's a lot of this kind of ritual. Um, yeah, good, Nathan. That's a really good parallel. Uh, just like somebody will say, like you you allude to a dead person. And if somebody else says, may he rest in peace, or like you would add, may he rest in peace as a ritual slogan, um, um, you know, you'd be like, you know, yes, like, you know, my grandfather, may he rest in peace, used to say this. Um, When will come the day of our revenge would be a similar kind of slogan like that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, evil Dr. Cannon says it's like the dwarvish equivalent of and also with you. (laughs) Yes, yes. Good. Arend, that's a wonderful example. Um, the allusion to, you know, Azog, curse his name. Yes. Curse his name. There you go. There's another dwarvish aphorism, I think, of a very similar kind, right? You mention the name of a hated enemy, right? Even one who is dead. Um, and you say, curse his name. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yes. When will come the day? Uh, when will come the day of our revenge? Curse his name. This is this is very dwarvish. And because, yeah, Bjorn and Son are uh, uh, dwarves are, are about the grudges. I mean, uh, all about the gr- not all. I don't want to say all. Um, um, uh, but um, um, 
but yeah, yeah, that's um, that's exactly the kind of. But but yeah, no, they're very. This is very prevalent, right? I mean, think even in the Hobbit. We see this even in the Hobbit, right? Even in small ways. Remember what happened? What they did when they found the troll treasure? All of, and they couldn't take it all with them on their journey, right? So remember, they buried a bunch of the troll the troll treasure. Bilbo and Gandalf dug it up when they came back. Remember what they did when they buried the troll treasure? They wrote curses over it, right? Curses lest anyone uh, find the treasure. You know, a curse on anyone else who finds the, their treasure that they claimed and buried. Like, that's how dwarves roll. Like, that's that's what they do. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and this also seems to be... Um, this also seems to be something that the Sauron-influenced ring of power could work with, basically, among the dwarves. Less treacherous? Yes. Um, but not untreacherous. And maybe a little bit more indirect about it, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, Jake W. Yes, Sauron did give the dwarves the rings. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, yeah, um, a curse still isn't as bad as an oath. I don't know. No, I don't think so. But you know, Kurtzimus, I never really thought about this before. But don't you see, they are um, complementary, right? An oath, an oath is words that you utter which bind yourself, right? A curse is words that you utter or carve that bind somebody else, right? I am going to attach a particular set of consequences to other people. As a consequences of my as in consequence of my words, right? Um, an oath you bind yourself to, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Eruhil, you were just saying the same thing. Um, we see that um, um, we see that uh, the um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are lots of examples, um, but I mean, the chief examples that I would point to about curses, right? Isildur curses the Oathbreakers, right? That's a curse. That's a curse. He binds them. Um, he bring he binds a particular fate to them um, through the words that he speaks. Um, uh, exactly. Trifle is just thinking about them. Now, they did break an oath. Right. So they made themselves vulnerable to that. But he curses them. He curses them and it works. Um, uh, so like they bound themselves and they broke that they broke that that vow. Um, but Isildur curses them. He lays a curse upon them. Uh, um, we have um, uh, Theodore does curse Melkor. 
thrice. Um, but I don't think he can bring that home. Uh, I don't think it works. <laughs> I don't think it works. Um, uh, the Doom of Mandos, Lissalinda, that is, of course, a very interesting thing. Like when uh, Mandos pronounces his dooms, uh, he binds people. Absolutely. Um, uh, are the dwarf ritual curses as powerful as Isildur's? Well, Lady Lakata, I don't know if they're exactly as powerful, but they are. Um, uh, but they they work. They work. Man, who read um, read the Book of Lost Tales? Meme meme was the bigger deal in the earlier drafts. Like um, meme becomes this, uh, you know, sort of small and kind of pitiable character uh, in the published Silmarillion by the time we get to the texts which were put into the published Silmarillion. Um, in the old versions, Meme, the dwarf, was like the father of all dwarves. He was like the dwarf. The uh, He was a really, really big deal. Um, and he lays a curse on the treasure. When Hurin, who is called Urin still at that time, uh, when Hurin kills him, which he does from the beginning. Um, when Urin kills him, Meme lays, dying, lays his curse upon the treasure. Um, remember there's an echo of this in the published Silmarillion uh, when, the dwar- when the king of the dwarves who is slain by Baron lays a curse on the treasure while dying. Um, but Meme laid a curse upon the treasure uh, when Urin killed him. And that curse, oh man, it works so I mean, oh my goodness. It, that's what brings about the fall of Doriath. Um, it, it's, uh, yeah, he brings down the entire kingdom of Doriath indirectly through as like one of the side effects of his curse. Um, the curse of Meme even influences Baron and Luthien and the Silmaril and like Erendil. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Um, yes, Meme is positively Wagnerian. So true. That's exactly what he is. Yes, I agree. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, an echo of the curse that gets Fafnir. Exactly. Yes, yes. Um, anyway, so, you know, the curses that they lay on the troll treasure in, you know, chapter, the, you know, chapter, beginning of chapter three, isn't it? Uh, of The Hobbit or end of chapter two? Uh, no, beginning of chapter three. Um, uh, that's a far cry from the curse of meme in the Book of Lost Tales, but, but it's still around. Like that concept is still there. Anyway, all right, getting distracted here. Uh, let's uh, let's finish up. What of the three rings of the elves? Oh, hang on, I kind of skimmed over the important question of Gandalf withholding this information. Um, I'm not sure what to say about it. Does Glowen have a grievance against Gandalf? for not revealing this information sooner? Um, I wonder. I wonder. Um, Glowen's response suggests that he doesn't have any hard feelings against Gandalf. His response is grief. And 
uttering what I definitely believe to be a ritual dwarvish expression, when will come the day of our revenge? Um, uh, but, yeah, I don't think... He doesn't seem mad. So the questions really become, why doesn't Gandalf tell Dan? Why did he never mention it? And why doesn't Glowin care? Um, that's one thing that I was thinking, Matt, from Wisconsin. How often has he been back to Erebor? Gandalf? I mean, it didn't come up, you know, during the Battle of Five Armies. There are a lot of other things to think about at the time, right? Um, uh, um, has he been back? Do we know that? I mean, I guess he was. When he shows up with Balin, right? It kind of implies that he was. Does it? Mike, I think it's pretty clear he didn't tell Dan, because if Dan knew, he would have told Balin. Um, if Glowin knows that Balin went to Moria in order to recover the ring, Dan must have known. Remember, Dan was loath to give his consent to Balin to go. Um, uh, and if Glowin, who was one of Dan's advisors, knew this, he must have. He must have done. Um, uh Ilamar, yes, he showed up with Balin. Why didn't Gandalf tell Balin? But see, they're like, what's he going to do? Chat about it? Right? They're traveling on the way. By the way, did I ever mention that, you know, the Ring of Power was taken from Thran in, in the dungeons of Dol Guldur with Torment? Like, why would he do that with Balin? I mean, Balin's swell, right? Um, uh, He's a swell guy and no doubt would be interested. Um, but would he bring it up? Um, yeah, I mean, he could take the news back to Dan, but it, would he do it? Would Gandalf be like, oh, hey, yeah, been meaning to tell Dan. Dan should probably know that, you know, the last of the seven rings of power was taken away. It's gone forever. So uh, be a good lad, Balin, and go tell Dan that when you next get back. Right. Um, I think. Yeah, if. um, um if anything, Nancy, I agree. If anything, Dan is the only one who might have a need to know. Balin doesn't have a need to know. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I kind of don't, um, um, I don't think that he would do that. Um, <laughs> right. Elmer, I agree. That's probably it. Um, Gandalf did tell Dan by letter, which he left with Butterbur, right? Um, yeah, that's that's it. I, that's totally what happens in my head canon now. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
No, I mean, I think it makes all kinds of sense that Gandalf and Elrond and the other of the wise would say, we should probably not talk about this, <laughs> right? Like this is, um, this is not information that we want to circulate among the dwarves. In particular, because the dwarves are pretty volatile, right? I mean, when will come the day of our, what might they do? I mean, if he drops that bomb, right? Oh, by the way, um, you know, Sauron the Necromancer took uh, uh, took the Ring of Power from Thran with Torment. You guys fought a huge war over what happened to Thror. Um, you know, d- do they want the dwarves all like ponying up and going after Sauron? I mean, on the one hand, that sounds kind of attractive in several ways. Um, but, um, uh, you know from a, a strategic standpoint, having all the dwarves throwing away their lives, attempting to take vengeance on Sauron. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, as Trifle and Emily were talking about, um, he has to kind of talk Thorin out of attacking the necromancer in the Hobbit. So it's a valid concern. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, that's like the only thing that I can see coming from it. I, telling them, I mean, like what's the good of telling them? Um, and now like if he'd known, if he'd known that, like, them not knowing would lead Balin into a hopeless quest to reclaim Khazad-dûm, maybe he'd have mentioned it, right? But he didn't know that they would do that. Um, he certainly didn't know that they would do that for that reason. Um, so, I don't know. I, I, I kind of think that... Um, uh, I kind of think that he... It's with no weapons. Exactly. Maybe they would have brought, I think they brought weapons when they swore vengeance on the orcs. So maybe they would have, they would have, uh, they would have remembered to bring the weapons when they went to attack Sauron. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, Michael, that's an interesting point. Michael D says, if you didn't guess, they would eventually seek the ring. He doesn't really know dwarves. Um, Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe. Um, and I agree, Bricktails. The dwarves were eventually going to try to retake Moria anyway. Um, yes, yes, that's true. Um, uh, right. Now, and Emily says, does he really know dwarves? Hobbits were his specialty. True, true. Does he know dwarves that well? Not necessarily. Well enough to know that they might swear vengeance on Sauron, because again, as we were pointing out, like that was Thorin's first move uh, in Bag End, right in Chapter One of The Hobbit. He's like, "Well, so we settled with the orcs of Moria, and we'll, next we'll have to give thought to the necromancer." And he's like, "Dude, you know, let's not even go there, right?" And so, yeah, is it a um, is it a good time to not <laughs> mention the Ring of Power? Maybe we should be not mentioning the Ring of Power. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yep, yep. Um, and Rowan, I agree. Gandalf has a history of withholding things from the dwarves. I mean, he was carrying the map and key around in his sweaty pocket for 90 years, right? Um, before he finally gave them to Thorin. So, um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh Exactly. Exactly. Um, Okay. All right. So I think that Gandalf, it seems to me Gandalf was entirely prudent 
not to mention it. And again, I really don't know how many times he's been back. Um, but even if he had, I'm not sure that he would make that call. Um, I'm not sure that he would make that call. Okay. Um, we will, next time, we will segue into our following slide with the reference to the Elf Lords, because we'll, we'll do Glowin's comment in the context of Elrond's slightly indignant response. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, cool. All right. So, um, with that, it's field trip time because it's getting late. All right. Thanks everybody. This was a lot of fun talking about dwarves and dwarf rings. Um, in particular, my, one of my take home fr- take homes from today's class, the ah, alas, cried Glowen. Right? Um, when will come the day of our revenge? I will never hear those sentences again uh, in quite the same way. I think that that's something that I never really fully appreciated before. Uh, so I think that's really cool. Anyway, all right. Thanks everybody for joining me this evening, uh, and. Um, I, uh, it's time for our field trip. So we're welcome to join us here. Um, all right. Here we go. Let's see. Good evening, everyone. There we are. Good. Good evening. All right. There we go. I almost missed the fellowship request. And just a confirmation again, yes, next week, no class next week. Um, both this and all classes are off now. I'm going to be out of the continent next week. So, well, I'll be on the very shelf of the continent next week. Um, uh, so, yes, the next class will be in two weeks from now. All right. Um, so back to uh, Limlock. Yes. Let's head over. All right, let's head back over. We'll meet up at Limlock again, and we'll head down to the bridge, right? I think that's where we ended last time? Yeah. All right. Nice. I'm still so new to this region. I Like, the loading screens are still not. Vengeance upon our enemies, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's. It's a, almost like it's almost like how we add hashtags at the end of things nowadays. Yeah, exactly. When will come the day of our revenge? You know, that's. Um, uh, I think a hashtag dwarf life. You know. Yeah. Well, I think it, yeah, it's like it's like a fun, uh, a fun conversational gambit. I don't think I'll try it. It sounds a little, uh, a little, you know, hot and heavy for the modern world. But um, which is strange because if anything, yeah. it would have been even more significant. Like. People throw off things like that without meaning anything, you know, to say something, you know, talk about vengeance, you know, in the in these days would almost bind you to it. Right. Um, yeah. But um, it would be admissible in court at any rate. Right. Which is why, you know, OK, so we're heading down to the bridge, uh, yeah. which is why, of course, I would think that it's framed the way that it is. Right. When will come the day of our revenge? You know, so there's no um, there's no actual like threat there's no, th- or there's no, there's no, um, there's no date set. Exactly. It's just a, it's yeah. a question, right? It's merely it's a, a, a semi rhetorical question. Even uh, if the answer, yeah, it's, it's, it's implying that the answer could well be never revenge is wrong. <laughs> well, probably not, no. but it's yeah, it, probably it, it, not. though a revenge kind of a grumbling concession that the day may never come. Yeah. Right. 
It, revenge is such an interesting word, though. For such a wordsmith as Tolkien, I almost feel like it, it's some lost in translation there, because like it, it almost feels like the the proper word should be something like recompense or something right. like that. Right. Or, or, yeah, I mean, it's it's. Yes, I, I, I agree not, with you. It's not as democratic. You know? Well, and it's, it's not, not just poetic. about like the dwarves are not only interested in revenge in the sense of like you took something from us and as a consequence, we're going to take it out of your hide. Right. Like yeah. we, we just want to punish you for doing this thing against us. Right. It's not just that it is. We want our own back. Right. Like we're going yes. to we're going to we're going to take it out of your hide if we think we can get a fair market value for your hide. Right. In order to, to recompense us for what we lost. Right. Yes. Um, so, I mean, think about the mercantile terms that they, the dwarves, even use after the Battle of Azanul Bazaar. Right. Like that they can't. Um, you know, about like victory and if their hands are, are large enough to, uh, to oh, hey, you just killed my horse, mountain bat. Oh, dear. Um, and then stun well, There's me. also oh, so much man. about, you know, restitution and, right. and stuff. Yeah, exactly. I think that the revenge seems to involve something more like restitution. Um, uh, in the, how did I not I notice think. that? That. Oh, a door? What is that? No, you're not looking at the door. I'm not looking at the door. I'm looking to the northwest. The tower in the cliff. Oh. Oh, dang. Holy cow. I think I saw it from the cliff, but... I don't remember seeing that at all. Okay. That is fascinating. Mm. It's a ruin, but it's a very different kind of construction. Okay, well, I'm like using it up on top. Yeah, I'm seeing something up there that looks a little more. Oh yeah, I see a wooden palisade up there, right? Yep, palisade and like a like a an awning over something. Yeah, looks like a little tent up there. Yeah, but yep. Nancy, I agree. This definitely looks newer than the bridge over here. Right? Cuz yeah, I was yeah. just like looking around here at the, you know, the dwarvish architecture and then like I just kind of like was like, "Wow, holy cow." And there's more. Look up there. That's the other bridge. Okay. Can't wait. All right. But later, can wait. Okay. So back to this older oh, yeah. piece of dwarf architecture. Now, it's right. There is a door, as you're saying. There's um like a guardhouse or a gatehouse. Inside the pediment of the statue, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, presumably it goes straight down a bit. Yeah. The door doesn't seem to fit. I mean, first of all, it looks much more modern, doesn't it? Has well, it, been... it looks a lot like the dwarven doors we've seen on a lot of uh, statuary and, and towers in um, Erdlun. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they were never in. in they were never in the, the pedestals. Yeah, like the pedestals of colossal statues. Um. Okay, all right. So here we're seeing the clear dwarf markers. That same interlinked rings, um, like the chainmail esque rings, and 
the diamonds, right? That kind of mm-hmm. diamond shape. The diamond starish. Yeah. And then we're seeing the, like, sunburst square things like we s- have seen several places. Oh, yeah. So, and remembering where we are on the maps, we're up here, north of the Bjorning Lands. So it's we're, very similar to the bridge that we saw. Right. So Carrick. Yes, it is. Uh, very similar to the bridge by the Carrick. So we're having multiple bridges built over the Great River from the Misty Mountains. So we're, we're, we're seeing evidence of multiple dwarf routes from the mountains to uh, Ravanian, basically. Jeez, it's like Venice. Yeah, I mean, it's all over the place. Okay, so... Yeah, and this makes perfect sense. And of course, it's an interesting piece of context, right, for the um, dwarf road through the forest and, you know, the dwarf, like the the old, the, the, the dwarf road, right, that still goes east and west. Those would be like the last surviving ones from the ancient dwarf roads that still existed. Because um, mm-hmm. in the old days, there would have been a bunch because there were yeah. dwarves who lived out in the Iron Hills and there were there was the kingdom of Ravanian and there would have been much traffic between um, uh, between the kingdom of Ravanian and and Khazad-dum, right? Um, yeah, even without the dwarven settlements in Erebor, there were at least human people to do business. Exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, and in fact, when Erebor comes in, which is right after Moria Falls... Uh, that's when these roots would have started to decay. So this bridge would be would be have have been in use and have been like maintained at least no you know like in the middle of the third age, right? So within the last few thousand years. Yeah, and it doesn't look like they ran out of money and just stopped building it either. This is new right here. Yeah, yeah, this, this, this wooden bit is clearly a, a ramshackle thing much more recently put up. By whom, I wonder, the construction not excellent. Does not look like dwarves did this. Um, Goblins, I guess. It does the job, but it's ugly. Yeah, yeah. The wonkiness of the bridge does certainly suggest potentially orcish construction. Like, they, know, they have enough engineering to be able to manage it, but... Um, Orcs would do your heavy lifting, right? Yeah. From what yeah. I've seen, we usually have orcs yelling at other orcs to do things and little goblins nearby. Of them. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the goblins are the architects and the orcs are the engineers. Or construction crew. Yeah, very possibly. Let's see, what do we see over here? Thorin's always going with the lowest bidder. Okay, well, their arches still don't quite match up. Look at that. Still a little bit of a... I wonder if there's some sort of geological event that moved the foundations. I wonder. That does not seem dwarvish to me. I wonder, could it... um, Maybe maybe it was a transitory dwarvish style. Right? Like, okay, look, look at that one. That's horrible. Yeah. This one is off by a good deal more. Not vertically, but horizontally. 
Maybe it's like yeah. a dwarvish joke or something. Maybe there's, there's, there was a fad in dwarfish architecture of like bridge arches that don't line up because they thought it was funny. The idiot savant style. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. That, even that, as a piece of satire. To go against very dwarvish. First of all, dwarves are very, take pride in their. And second, and they are, they're very interested in showing everyone how much better dwarves do things than everyone else. Maybe I don't know. It's strange. It's I don't know. One if there was a, if there was an asymmetrical trend in the dwarves, I I would blame uh, Celebrimbor for inspiring it because elves are definitely more organic in that. <laughs> right, right. Um... Yeah, no, no, no. It's it's a. Uh... Huh. Does not seem like your your usual dwarf devotion perfection. Yeah. What are we? So what's over here? Also, yeah. Also, considering how many things have fallen over here, maybe there was a geological event, like the riverbed shifted. It's possible. Sort of tremor. Was this some kind of dwarvish technique where, like, the arches were just meeting and resting against each other as plates, mm-hmm. right? Maybe Rather the exodus- than with no mortar, and then it kind of shifted over time. Maybe, or maybe the Balrog awaking did so much damage the earth felt it for 100 miles around. Yeah, I mean, there could have been any number of other events. Let's see, JJ, you're seeing stained glass? We're seeing some really excellent examples of that uh, mm. diamond snowflake pattern here. Oh, okay, JJ, I see you up here. Yeah, well done. Huh. Oh, that is very interesting. That is very new. Yeah, this... um, Almost like a mosaic pattern. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it is... I see what you mean, you know, comparing it to stained glass. I mean, it's not actually glass, I don't think. I think that's just stonework, kind of like the diamond snowflake down there that we see, right? And Moroccan arabesques. Yeah. That is very interesting. How many points on that star? Yeah. Eight? Looks like an eight-pointed star. Yeah, see, once again, geometry. <laughs> yeah, and JJ, you're right, it's not centered, which is, of course, similar to what we see, like, in all of those, um, what I've been calling the sunburst designs. Where can we see any from here? I saw them maybe back on right, the bridge. You're right, maybe there wasn't a symmetry phase. Yeah, because... Where did, where'd they go? Perverse rogue architects. That right there. Those. Yeah. These. Sort mm-hmm. of. Yeah. And those are as they those tend to be asymmetrical too. Um yep. Yeah, okay, okay, except these ones aren't. Hang on. I'm sure some of those other ones were. The ones yeah, the ones on the bridge I think. We've definitely seen okay. asymmetrical ones of those. That's not uncommon. Not to mention that the uh, the interlocked rings are not symmetrical either. Yes. I mean, if you look at the rings on this uh, on this you know pediment right here, you've got oh, those yeah. rings clustered tightly together and more openly over here. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So. There does seem to be a general 
an asymmetrical phase. Yes. I I definitely think this is Moria construction. Makes I will, me wonder if I'll see any of that asymmetry in Moria. Yeah, we'll be looking for that. Sorry, I'm just looking at the inside of this wall because there's another one on the inside. Got for badgers. Right on the, the other end there. Like right on the other side of the wall from where it is. On the other side. Oh, yeah. huh. I wonder if there's, like, it definitely, there, it looks like there's, like, maybe on the inside if there's a window. And it makes me wonder if there's something on the inside that makes more a cohesive pattern. I wonder. Maybe. Maybe. I like these diamond patterns on the, on the stone as well. Yeah. Um... Strata. Yeah, Lady Lakata was wondering if these were done by dwarf interns as their first major project. Well, I will say, if there was a, um, you know, a less reputable uh, team of dwarf engineers and architects who dug asymmetry and thought that arches that didn't quite meet in the middle were funny, um, they probably would get put to projects like this, you know, bridges on the hinterlands far from Moria, um, which like only a handful of dwarf merchants are ever even going to see. Right. Um, yeah, stick them in Scarabreg. No one will ever see it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, you wouldn't think, right, that they, by which I mean the dwarves, would be. I mean, as you say, uh, Valoria, the real test is whether we see anything like this in Moria itself. Mm. Right. So, keep an eye that's out for the mad architect in Moria. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. So, where are we here? We're still down here. So, what time is it? We still have a little bit of time. Let's head inland and see what we see because the I'm trying to figure out any evidence of the old dwarf road, which would have presumably come this way, right? This is From still Moria, kind of yeah. leading down. All right. Yeah. So, I'm assuming that if we follow the stream up, we're going to come to some kind of an outlet, which would have been more or less where the dwarves would have come out of Moria. But it's been a long time. Goblin spearman ahead. Goblin spearman, Whoa. huh? He is. Oh, he's mounted. That's why he looked so outfitted. Yeah. All right. I think we can still make it up this hill, yeah? Okay. Thought that was a bunny on his band. I've been playing. If there was time. a if there was a goblin bunny clan, that would be kind of cool. Alright, so and oh here's an excellent view. Plenty of ruins over there. Oh, so yeah. something else going on there, but I'm not looking. We're not worried about that yet. We're still because clearly the road down to the bridge would have been on this side, right? I mean, we've got this huge canyon. Yeah. Uh, so, clearly, they would have been coming down this way. Mm -hmm. And we still have a steep cliff over there. So, we're still on the fairly narrow stretch of land that would have served. Now, here we're meeting wandering, <clears throat> wandering goblins. Bats, which suggests that we're still near to mountain caves, right? These are mountain bats. Aha! Yeah. Um, uh -huh. Okay, some more dwarvish ruins in the mountainside in the distance here, which looks okay. more like what we're headed down from, but those still seem on the other side of the river. That's okay. I'm still I'm looking at the mountain slopes. I'm not seeing anything. 
Okay, it's still mostly just beasts around here. Bats and goats and cave claws, which again suggest the proximity to the, yeah, you know, the not just to the mountains, but to cave outlets, right? And we've got some wargs and goblins, but that's not surprising. Not at all. Um, as we're not only close to the mountain strongholds of the goblins, increasingly close to Gundabad, of course. Um, all right. So now we're still, we're further from the river. This plane is kind of widening out a little bit. Yeah. I'm I have not, not sure seen which... any evidence of paving or pillars or markers or anything that suggests the existence of the old road. No, it's all overgrown, which will happen. My my background, the, the guy who had my house before me had put a whole bunch of gravel in his backyard and everything grew over. And we never figured it out until we tried to dig it up again. And we wondered why the shovel wouldn't go in. Right. Right. It's true. Yeah. So in, you know... 1,500 years, it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Um, Especially if, if no one else is using it or something like that. We've seen some of these paths where people kept using it, the local right. people kept using it, and it stayed a path, but there doesn't right. seem to be anything like that up here. Man, look at that. Good view. That is really cool. Okay, so I think we're, yeah, we're pretty much all the way up. And this, so that's got to be Sundergrot, whatever that is on our map. Um, that has to be what that is. Wow. Okay. Um, Beautiful. Uh, could the road have turned sharply and crossed another bridge up to the other ruin? Well, that's what I'm starting to wonder, JJ, because I'm not seeing any. I mean, this looks certainly looks like an old dwarf city or dwarf outlet, at least. I mean, I've been looking for the outlet from Moria, and that looks like it, right? But we're still on the opposite side. So let me just see. Uh, before we go, we're here. just about time to go. But let me see if I can. I, well, let's, let's go up to the end of our little land here. And I'm kind of meandering around back and forth so I can see if there are any signs here or evidence of. I haven't seen anything, JJ, but we'll look a little bit more carefully on the other side. Okay, so that's significantly ruinous over there. Oh, dang. Yeah, because it's all tumbled down, which is interesting. Um,. And, uh, okay, but I'm looking for any, no, forest, I don't see caves. There probably are some minor caves. It is occurring to me that dwarf roads are not like the greenway made out of pebbles and gravel. They're usually big pavings. Right, and often with, like, pillars and such, which is why, yeah. I'm, okay, so, and oh, here's, yeah, here, here's, here's the bridge. Here's the bridge. Oh, look at that blue stone. Yeah, the blue stone is cool. So here is the old dwarf. I, I, I think this is it, JJ. I think this is it from here to the river. So, so yeah, it would have come out. So this Sundergrot here must have been the outlet from Moria. Um, but how very striking. Okay, well, will this? We're, I'm not even like letting myself look. We will return to this next week. There's no time. There's no time for Sundergrowth this week. Um, but I knew there wasn't going to be. So, okay. All right. So, we'll, we will explore up here. We'll, we'll just retrace our steps a little bit more quickly next time. And, uh, oh, hang on a second. There's something over there. All right. I oh, found, what? I missed it. We almost missed a thing. This week, whoop, almost fell down into the river, which would have been bad. Um, from 
the bridge, though, I saw this little thing. It's a dwarf marker with an asymmetrical uh, sunburst, just like I was looking for. Oh, man. Okay, let's see. I'm examining it. Dwarf surveys in the wells of Langflood. Oh, what a what an excellent deed that is. Okay, so see, there is your classic asymmetrical sunburst pattern. And you can even see the sort of circle at the middle, which is why I've been calling that a sunburst from the beginning. Um, um, so yeah, you've got the asymmetrical rings and the asymmetrical sunburst. The mostly symmetrical knots. I think they're pretty yeah. much symmetrical. The knot work. Um, yeah, I, th- I think we I think we agreed they were symmetrical, but they were laid out in strips and then cut to a length that was made it asymmetrical. Right, right. Um, sorry, so I'm looking at the. Let's see, where am I? Where's your? Where's the thing for? Wells of Langflood. Uh, dwarf surveys in the Wells of Langflood. So I'm just looking for any text, any deed text here. Um, discover the dwarf markers spread throughout the Wells of Langflood. Well, that sounds like a fun challenge. Um, okay, so markers. These are being called markers specifically. What are they marking? This would have been marking what? The well, Sundergrot, but it's way outside of Sundergrot. It's yeah, it's really like stuck in that stone too. Like, yeah. Huh. As you as you say, a long time things can change. It makes me wonder if like the the paving stone roads were like pulled up and the stone was used for something else. That's interesting. Didn't we observe that the buildings in? Uh, uh, Limlock were stone buildings? Oh, yeah. It's quite possible they took the paving stones and crushed them up and used them for stone walls. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they could be survey markers. They could be survey markers. They would certainly perhaps use this vantage point when they were planning their road. The project they were endeavoring to undergo that just never went to... Never. Yeah, okay. That's All right, fruition. well... We will return and we will begin here at the Dwarf Marker and explore Sundergrot next time, which is not next week, but it is the week after that we shall return. Um, thanks, everybody, for joining us today. This was uh, uh, this was a fun adventure up here. I found out what Sundergrot is, and it is as I had hoped and suspected. Seeing the Dwarf Bridge, I was suspecting that Sundergrot was uh, the outlet from Moria, and it seems to be. Um though the architecture and the style is so strikingly different, it is giving me notions. But I will explore those notions further a fortnight from now. Thank you, everybody, for joining us, and I will see you guys in two weeks. Good night now. See you in a fortnight.